0: Welcome to the Reorg Europe podcast, your weekly roundup of the most interesting trends and developments in performing credit, stressed and distressed, restructuring and post-Reorg in the European and Semia markets. It's Tuesday, August 8th, and I'm Andrew Ross.
1: And I'm Faisan Abid. Coming up this week, we will talk through the latest on telecom operator Altice, which is looking to slash 4 billion euro of debt in 12 months. Then we will discuss the possible sale of German pharmaceutical group Stada, but first, we will look at Lycra's quasi down transaction and what it means for liability management transactions in Europe. We would like to hear your feedback to help us improve the podcast experience. So please take a moment to complete the short survey in the link attached to this podcast and let us know how we are doing.
0: In the latest installment of the RX101 and Covenant's 101 series, we explained the basics of what liability management exercises are what is meant by creditor on creditor violence, and how this may come to affect the European market. In keeping with that team, we also looked at Lycra's announcement that it was backtracking on its plans to do a drop-down transaction, one of the types of liability management exercises that we described in the RX101 report. Today, we are joined by Celine Buttenshaw, author of the RX101 report, and Bart Capecci, who wrote the Lycra report. Celine, Bart, uh, what can you tell us about the Lycra transaction and what it means for liability management transactions in Europe?
2: Thanks for having us. Perhaps I should start by saying a little bit about liability management exercises. These describe a wide range of transactions that companies use to manage their liabilities outside of a formal restructuring or insolvency process. On the more benign end of the scale are things like amend and extends and consent solicitations, where lenders collectively agree to amend certain terms of the loan or bond. On the less benign end are things like the drop-down transaction in Lycra, which benefits one group of creditors at the expense of another, which is why we call it creditor-on-creditor violence. Bart, would you like to explain what happened in Lycra?
3: Sure. Earlier this year, Lycra had €250 million of bonds coming due, but no money to repay them. Instead, they convinced the bondholders to exchange their bonds for 300 million euros of new bonds maturing in 2025. The new bonds had the benefit of the same security and the same guarantees as Lycra's other outstanding bonds, but Lycra agreed that it would move about 75 million dollars worth of intellectual property outside the restricted group of companies subject to the covenants in the existing bonds and that IP would secure the new bonds but not the existing bonds. That's called the drop-down transaction because the assets are moved down into a new subsidiary outside the scope of the covenants of the existing debt. That was announced in May But at the end of July, Leiker announced that it was abandoning the drop-down and instead was entering into a broader series of transactions that would benefit not only the new bondholders but also the existing bondholders and certain other creditors as well.
2: So having announced a deal where one group of creditors was going to benefit at the expense of another, they subsequently backtracked and came up with a solution that was more acceptable for everyone involved. In the longer term, that's probably a more sustainable approach than playing your creditors off against each other.
3: It's interesting that, having announced the drop-down, Liker ultimately decided not to go through with it. While drop-downs and other forms of creditor-on-creditor violence are fairly common in the United States, they're seen much less frequently on this side of the Atlantic. Why do you think that is, is, Céline?
2: Well, I'd like to think it's because people are more polite over here but it's probably because the legal framework isn't as conducive to these types of transactions as it is in the US. Part of this is a result of the judgement in a where the UK court struck down an early aggressive use of exit consents, finding that the majority is expected to exercise its power in good faith and not in abuse of the minority. Now, a was an extreme example, but it has made people more reluctant to push the boundaries over here, And another factor is that directors can be found criminally liable for certain breaches of their duties. And that probably also has encouraged less aggressive behaviour.
3: I think you're right about that. One type of transaction that hasn't really been seen in Europe is up-tiering where a majority of creditors get together and vote to allow a new class of debt that ranks ahead of all existing classes, then they exchange their debt into that new class, leaving the minority lenders, who had been first priority lenders, suddenly subordinated. Now, The reason that hasn't really been seen in Europe is not because some creditors wouldn't do it if they could. But because market practice over here typically requires a higher lender consent threshold to change priority than it does in the United States. Any other thoughts, Celine?
2: I guess the final point to make is that restructuring plans in the UK are relatively flexible, quick and cheapish to implement dissenting creditor classes can be crammed down through a Part 26A restructuring plan. And because the plan is approved by a court, it doesn't run the risk of the subsequent legal challenges that have plagued so many drop-down and up-tiering transactions in the US. That doesn't mean we won't see drop-downs and up-tiers over here in the future, though.
3: Very true. There are about $52 euros of bonds maturing in the next 12 months that will need to be refinanced with nearly 20 billion euro maturity wall in the first quarter of 2024 alone. Now, some of those bonds may struggle to refinance in the ordinary course, and so we may see some companies forced to get creative. Thanks, Celine and Bart,
0: for your thoughts on this. There was so much detail we couldn't pack into this podcast, so we do encourage our subscribers to read both our RX101 and Lycra reports.
1: Last week, it was reported that Bain Capital and Sinven were weighing up options, including a potential sale or IPO for the German pharmaceutical group Stada. Could you give me a bit of background on the situation,
4: Charlie? Sure, Feizan. Uh, So Stada is a German company uh, that specializes in low-cost generic and over-the-counter medicines. Bain and Sinven took a stake in the company in 2017 before taking the company private in 2018. As you said on Wednesday last week, it was reported that the sponsors were weighing up uh, options for a potential sale of Stada, with a rumored valuation of around 10 billion or more. Uh, it was also rumored that any potential sale would likely exclude uh, the group's Russian operations.
1: Do you think it's likely that it will reach a valuation in excess of 10 billion?
4: There's a few things to consider here. Firstly, Bain and Sinvent took the company private at 12 times enterprise value to EBITDA multiple. This means that given the price they paid for the remaining outstanding shares in 2018, the company was valued at 12 times the EBITDA that the company had achieved in the year prior. Now, Stardust's EBITDA over the past 12 months has been around 920 million euros. If we apply that 12 times take private multiple to this last 12 months EBITDA, we arrive at a valuation for the company of around 10.9 million euros. It's also important to note that Uh, Under their management, the company has actually been pretty well managed uh, since they took over. And under their control, revenues increased by around 70%. They've also maintained stable margins to deliver consistent EBITDA growth. And Starters Net Leverage has dropped to six times as of the last quarter. That's in comparison to the eight times that it was registering at the end of 2021.
1: That all sounds promising for a deal to get done that matches their valuation.
4: That's our overall view, yeah. We also took a look at the enterprise value to EBITDA multiples of similar transactions in the European generic pharmaceutical space to see if they would provide a valuation close to the rumoured 10 billion euros. And looking at 14 transactions since 2017, we arrived at an average enterprise value multiple of 11.5 times EBITDA. And applying this, we get to a valuation of around 10.5 billion. And you
1: said that the average multiple of similar transactions in this place includes those that have taken place since 2017. M&A activity of course has been relatively muted this year. Do you think that this will have an impact?
4: Yeah, of course it's important to qualify this by looking at the market context. The climate is not currently overly conducive to getting a deal like this done. Currently there are significant valuation mismatches between the cost of private equity companies acquired their portfolio companies for and the price that other investors are willing to pay. This has obviously been fueled by the significantly elevated cost of capital that we're seeing. If you imagine the case of an LBO, where the cost of financing such a transaction is gonna be at least double what it was in 2021, where there was abundant cheap money, that's obviously not conducive to a transaction like this. You can even see this in the rumored 10 billion price. As I mentioned, the implied value of the company using the EV to EBITDA multiple, which it was taken private for, would be around 11 billion euros. Bain and Sinven have actually grown the company significantly, acquired strong generics portfolios off giants such as GlaxoSmithKline, and diversified geographically into growth areas such as Eastern Europe, and the implied EV to EBITDA multiple of this transaction is lower.
0: Bonds and loans of French telecoms business Altice France came under heavy pressure in July, as we previously discussed on this podcast. This week, management faced creditors for the first time since that sell-off, and Magnus Sherman is here to give us the highlights. Magnus, did we get any more colour on the alleged fraud?
5: Yes, we did get more details on this uh, this week because both uh, Altice International and Altice France have been reporting second quarter uh, results and they've had their calls and uh, the entire management teams, including the controlling shareholder Patrick Drahi, were on uh, the calls yesterday and today to give um, color and, and respond to the many questions that creditors had around the um, the investigation uh, focusing on the uh, on the uh, Portuguese uh, subsidiary at Altis International. In short, um, Drahi explained that the, this alleged fraud, and it's still alleged, we sh- we should underline that, um, it, that it involves a small number of individuals who appear to have taken a cut of between 20 and 30 percent or rather a markup of 20 uh, to 30 percent on approximately 5 percent of altis international's total purchases so just to explain it it appears that these people have set up a a middle entity to buy directly from the supplier then turn around and sold it at a 20 percent higher uh, price to altis and um and that's so for 5% of the total purchases at LT's international and 2% at LT's France so that's really important to underline that these are quite marginal uh, parts of the businesses but there is uh, an investigation ongoing and um and that work is um, is still being done and of course it does raise some questions uh, about uh, about the processes that have been taking taken place um but uh, Altice's controlling shareholder Patrick Drahi, he was also very quick to to say that this w- this means that Altice has already absorbed uh, this loss from this. And uh, if you flip that around, uh, it means that Altice International and Altice France can now purchase at a lower price for um, the per- for the uh, the goods and services that they used to buy at a uh, at a twenty or thirty percent higher cost so he's trying to um, to sort of reframe that as a positive thing but of course it has raised a lot of questions at both entities and in particular at L T S france which is the most levered company of the two with uh, around 6.3 times net leverage On these two calls, I also want to flag that um, they both actually made announcements regarding their overall capital structures at LTS International, which is in a better state. um, They said that they may just come to the primary market uh, in the coming months to refinance its 25 and 26 debt, simply because they have the credit quality to do that. Whereas Altis France, they are looking at a number of what they call inorganic options, um, including non-core asset sales uh, and strategic equity options to use those proceeds to buy back the, um, the debt it has at distressed levels. Let's remember that some of the unsecured debt or the subordinated debt at Altice France has been trading in the low, in the high 30s. So quite a deep discount there. And um, Altice France wants to slash its net leverage by one turn, that equals four billion euros uh, for this company in the next 12 months. So they have set themselves a quite uh, a tight uh, time timeframe. Um, but uh, Patrick Drahi, he said he was super confident about this plan and he underlined that it could also be achieved by himself uh, putting in new equity into lts France, which would again allow the company to buy back debt at at deep discounts, and that company, uh, the French entity, also aims um, for a medium term leverage of four and a half times. So, still some work to be done there to uh, to get to that target. But this is really the the important update, and I think. Given the, um, the relatively limited amount, so the 5% and 2% of total purchases, I think a lot of
1: creditors will be, um, will be happy with that news. Last week, reporter Nick Krauss spoke with DWS Group's Head of Private Credit, Jens Witzka and Head of Structured Income, Marcus Herbig for a special podcast as part of our Conversations with Reorg series. Topics discussed including fundraising in the challenging macroeconomic environment, the Optimum Level Financial Covenants, where the limited partners, LPs, are seeking safety in larger funds and the key trends to look out for in the second half of this year. You can listen again on the Reorg site and on Spotify, SoundCloud and Apple Podcast. We send a weekly roundup of Reorg content ranging from breaking news to in-depth financial and legal analysis, as well as the latest podcasts that you can listen to and webinars that you can register to attend. Sign up to the Reorg on the record newsletter now at reorg.com. Join thousands of industry professionals using ESGX by Reorg to address regulatory reporting and underwrite investments with ESG. Request a trial at reorg.com or contact sales at reorg.com for further information.